0: inspires me that uh, the same God who is working in Africa to bring clean water uh, through us is here with us this morning. Uh, And so, in light of that, I'm going to pray and ask for his help. (sighs) Heavenly Father, come before you in humility and desire that you be glorified this morning. I say you'd use your word to give us hope, uh, to give us life and to teach us about you and your son. And I ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. All right. On August 28th, 1963, on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, in front of 250,000 people, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. spoke these powerful words. He said, I have a dream. Those are the ones we remember at least during a time Marked by segregation and separation and war, King proclaimed peace and unity and equality. However, that day, those words, I have a dream, are not what motivated and encouraged those people. Uh, These people had trekked across country, uh, been beaten and uh, ashamed. And most people, when we're going through that, we struggle to take in all of, the words we struggle to hear. What does that mean? I have a dream. No, what it gave those people that day, I believe, hope what encouraged them, motivated them was the dream. The dream was the vision today of a better tomorrow. The vision today of a better tomorrow. You see, those people saw something would change, they saw something glorious would happen. Well, that was 50 years ago. Um, half things changed. Did the dream come true? Uh, If we're honest with ourselves, I think we've progressed. I think we're getting there. But is there peace in this nation? Is there equality and unity among the races and ages and genders and social classes? Um, Are we there yet? I think um, in light of that, we have hope because Our word is more than just the words of a man who said, I have hope or I have a dream that we remember. We have the word of God. And like King, God gave his people during a time of war and struggle and difficulties, a vision, a dream. Uh, And we're going to look at that this morning. Um, uh, I invite you to turn to Isaiah chapter 6. That's our passage. If you would need a Bible, raise your hand and somebody will usher one to you. Um, But as you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of backdrop. Um, And this is important because uh, we're going to be using a lot of our senses this morning. I want you to be aware of what's going on in this passage. Um, So the book of Isaiah is obviously about the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah is, uh, he's a high class kind of guy. He's high society. Grew up in Jerusalem, which is the city of peace, the city of David. Uh, it's where the city where the king lived. It's the city um, where the temple of God was. Uh, it's where all the things happened. And Isaiah, his cousin, became king. So he was part of the royal family. His cousin Uzziah became king. Um, and also, Isaiah uh, later became a prophet. Uh, now, being a prophet kind of gave him an access card. Uh, into a lot. Of, he would be invited to a lot of the high parties where everybody would be attending. Um, He would be in front of all the kings and leaders of all the people from around the region. Uh, So he had this access card. Uh, But being a prophet meant that he had to speak God's word to these people, which often would be uncomfortable because he was uh, prophesying against them. They were doing bad things. Um, So that's a little bit about Isaiah. Uzziah, his cousin, the king, um, was one of the most prosperous kings of all of Israel, actually. Uh, His uh, Reign was second only to David in terms of military expansion and conquering. So Uzziah, who's Isaiah, the prophet, uh, Uzziah, the king, try to keep them separated. Um, Uzziah uh, was a very prosperous king. Um, if, if you know about the kings in the Old Testament, it said they wanted, either they followed the Lord or they did not follow the Lord. Uzziah, for most of his life, chose to follow the Lord. But because he got prosperous Um, And successful, sort of became puffed up and macho. You know, said it's all about me. He's self inflated, and um, it's not about God. It's about me. And so he thought it would be a good idea for himself to go into the temple to sacrifice to God. If you know anything about the Old Testament, going into sacrifice to God was the duty of the Levitical priests, as the family of Levi. And so Uzziah tried to do that. He tried to supersede God, God's intended plan. And God did not like this. So God struck Uzziah with leprosy. Leprosy is a painful disease. So it was Isaiah sitting here watching his cousin, the king, go through this uh, trial of leprosy and dying. And meanwhile, the neighboring nations are all lying against God's people. Uh, And the Assyrian Empire, as we later read, they would come in and attack. So it's right in this time through uh, questions that they would have about What's going to happen after Uzziah dies? Who's going to be king, and what's his reign going to be like? Um, How are we going to defend ourselves And amidst all these fears and uncertainty? The biggest question they face is, where is God, and how is God going to fix this? What kind of God is allowing this stuff (coughs) to happen? Uh, So let's jump in. Uh, We set our scene, and verse 1 really uh, sort of expands on that. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. All right, stop there. So Isaiah watched his cousin struggle painfully, emotionally, and he passed away. He dies, and he's no longer. But Isaiah sees something that changes everything. So point number one is what Isaiah sees changes everything. So you have a blank piece of paper there to take notes. Um, you can jot some things down. There are a couple of points, three points. Um, point number one is what Isaiah sees changes everything. So what does he see? Um, you know, when you have a, a, a employer, they might ask you, can you see to it that this is done? And you'll say, well, we'll see. Do, do you see what I'm saying? <laughs> we use this word see in a lot of, of different ways. Uh, and commentators, very smart people, much smarter than me, argue about what is exactly going on here. Does he really see it? Is he really in the temple and he sees the Lord, or is this some vision that he's taken away into? Um, we're not going to dive into that. We don't have time to go there uh, this morning, and it's really probably not in our best interest to, because in the end of the day, the Lord is still on the throne. Um, but it could be said that what Isaiah sees is a vision. Um, you probably have a heading in your Bible that says Isaiah's vision. Uh, Or it might be a dream. I think this is not an ordinary dream or a vision. I think Isaiah has an encounter that consumes him. It sparks all of his senses and and impacts his intellectual capacity. It stretches his ability to reason and think about what's going on. Uh, It exhausts all of his emotions and overwhelms him. Uh, And it challenges him as a prophet on who is to speak, challenges his communication abilities. And this is because what Isaiah sees is primarily about who Isaiah sees. Now, I'm going to read this for you, and then we're going to talk a little bit about it. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So who does he see? He sees the Lord. He sees God. He sees Yahweh. It's the I am, the everlasting God, the God, the ruler, the king of the people of Israel. You see, Israel was a theocracy. That meant that God was in charge. The real word in Hebrew here is Adonai. It means Lord. It means king. It means the supreme ruler of all. So Uzziah, the king, dies, and what happens? Isaiah sees Adonai. He sees the Lord. So what do we see? Um, you know, it, this uh, encounter impacted and it sparked all of his senses. And I asked you this morning uh, to use your senses as we engage in this passage. I mean, you know, I was going to ask you to get up and you know, high-five each other to get you to, okay, touch and to look at each other, you know, sight and maybe smell each other, you know, smell and lick each other. No, that'd be weird. But, you know, maybe me saying this is half as weird. But in, in a sense... We need to engage our senses uh, with this. So what do we see? Do, when, and says, Isaiah saw Adonai. John, uh, in, in his gospel, he says that no one has ever seen God. Uh, what does that mean? Later in his gospel, uh, John chapter 12, verse 41, speaking about Isaiah, he says, he saw these things concerning him. He said these things concerning him because he saw his glory. Well, who is John talking about? John was talking about Jesus. Isaiah sees Jesus. Jesus is in your Old Testament. Did you know that? <laughs> there he is, Adonai. He sees Jesus. And what does he notice about Jesus? He's, he notices a couple of things. We're going to look at his posture, his position, and his presence. And that's what we notice in the rest of verse 1. It says, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. Now, the Lord is sitting. He's not standing. He's not walking around like I am now. He's sitting. Uh, In in our culture, we don't really get this, but sitting in the Hebrew culture means that your work is done. You're sitting because you are not working in the fields. You're not walking around. You're not busy doing anything. No, you're sitting because your work is done. That's, That's where Jesus is in this vision. He's sitting, and where is he sitting? He's sitting on a throne, So that must mean he's a king, right? So we see Jesus, who is the Lord, who is Adonai, who is God. So Jesus is God, but he's also a king. That is his position. He's the ruler. He's supreme ruler. He is authority. Um, And it says that he is high and lifted up. Now, does that mean that as we're picturing this image, does that mean that his throne is like floating in space, right? Is that kind of what you're picturing? Um, Is it it high and lifted up? No, that means that he's exalted, that he supreme. That's what high and lifted up means. So that's his posture, is sitting, and he's on a throne as a king. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, now we're getting to engage in this encounter. Um, the train of his robe, that would be, you know, a person has a robe, that's the part that comes down, spreads out, and, you know, it's kind of like the cape if you're a kid and you had it robe on and you would fly around. At least I did that. I thought it was Batman or something. (coughs) Um, But the train of his robe, it filled the temple. That word filled, it literally means filled. So if we're engaging in this encounter, you know, his robe's filling the temple. I mean, that's a lot of fabric, right? (laughs) Are you like eating it in this vision? Is that what you're doing? Well, let me tell you about a robe for a king. In ancient times, the robe defined how powerful the king was. Because when a king conquered another king, he would behead that king, take his robe, and have it sewed onto his robe. So the longer your robe was, the bigger your robe was, and filled the temple, that means you were powerful. If Jesus conquered death, that means part of his power is conquering death. So you're picturing a lot of fabric. You're picturing Jesus. And I know you probably have a picture of, of Jesus in your mind I mean, that's, that's okay. It's probably not different than what he really looks like. So keep that in mind. So we see Jesus. He's wearing this robe on this throne. He's sitting down. Uh, and this train of his robe is all this fabric, right? No, it's not fabric. Not fabric. Not for this king. Psalm 104, verses 1 and 2 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, you are great. You clothe yourself in splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment. So this is not just a flickering light. In this vision Isaiah sees, the lights are turned on and it's everywhere. This light is shutting out the darkness. The power of God, the power of God of his robe, that defines his power, is light that casts out darkness. Darkness. Is what you're seeing beginning to change everything? <clears throat> so, uh, we see, Isaiah sees the Lord. He sees Jesus. That's his focus. You know, if he was there and if he was an artist, he probably would have taken his phone out and, like, I got a video record this so I can put it on YouTube later and show everybody. You know, if it was on TV, like, Jesus would be in the center and everything else would be around it. So, we need to keep that in mind. Jesus is at the center Everything else that's going on in this passage, passage defines more about Jesus. And that's what we see in the next verse. It says above him, above Jesus, stood the seraphim. Now, what, what is a seraphim? Well, anyone with power has an entourage, right? I mean, that's kind of <laughs> kind of goes with the territory, right? So this is Jesus' entourage. It's not about these angels. It's not something else that Isaiah sees that's separate. It's more about Jesus. This entourage, these angels define Jesus and we'll see that as it goes on. But it says each had hi- had six wings and with two he covered his face and with two he covered his feet and with two he flew. Now that gives us a kind of a weird picture of what these angels, these uh, seraphim angels are, right? Uh, so uh, the seraphim actually means seraph. Some of your transla- translations might say that. In Hebrew, the ending I am is really just our letter S. So it's seraphs. And not just six seraphs, that's six wings, but a multitude of seraphs. And what is a seraph? A seraph literally means burning one. Uh, so the song, uh, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, says there's a, a flaming tongues above that sing this mighty chorus, and we'll hear that chorus as we read on. Um, but that's what we need to think about. And also, uh, it says that he covered his face. Now, does that mean that all of these angels are males? Is that what you're thinking about? Is that what you're picturing? Because we're engaging in this encounter with all of our senses and our sight. Is that what you're thinking about, male angels? No, Hebrew doesn't have the word it or just a gender neutral um, pronoun. So, it just says he, but it really means it. It's not like these are all male angels. They might be female angels. We don't know what they look like, but they have these wings. right? And because of the light of the power of God that filling the temple, they're covering their eyes. They're covering their face. They're shielding themselves because they really can't look upon the glory of God because it's too bright for them. And also they're covering their feet. Uh, Now this is a sign of humility, of being uh, created. I'm covering my feet in the presence of God. And then with two wings they flew. And as they flew, this for me is where this becomes uh, so much more than a dream and a vision. It says, And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah sees Jesus and he hears the seraphs singing a song. He hears them say that Jesus is intensely and insurmountably set apart. You see, in Hebrew, when uh, they want to say like, greatest, they would say holy, holy, holy. When they wanted to say it like the er, they would say holy, holy. Uh, they use repetition to explain uh, how big something is, how extensive something is. And when something's said three times, that means it's like the holiest thing ever. So, uh, when, I, when I like to think of it as I like to think of holy uh, to, the, to the power of infinity. You know, it's going on forever. There's nothing more holy than Jesus. That's what, that's what holy, holy, holy is. And we sing. We sing these words. They're in a lot of our songs. And we recognize them. But do we think about this? Do we experience this encounter while we're singing these words? Um, and as you're entering into this encounter this morning, do you hear the seraph singing? Do you hear what is going on in Isaiah's counter? Have you entered in? Um, does what you're hearing and seeing, does it, is it starting to change everything? In verse number four. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. and The house was filled with smoke. So now we engage some of our other senses, uh, the sense of touch. The foundations of the threshold are shaking. Why? Because these angels are cheering so loud that the foundations of the threshold are shaking. It's like, you know, being in a stadium at uh, Lambeau Field or somewhere great where there's a, thousands of people and they're all screaming loud, and like you feel like your chair is shaking. That's that's what's going on here. Isaiah says the foundations of the threshold shook. Like if you're in an earthquake, that's where they tell you to go. Like stand between the doorposts so you don't get hit by everything. No, this is so loud the angel singing about the holiness of God is so loud that the threshold, the place where you're supposed to be safe, it's shaken. It changes everything. Have you ever been shaken by the holiness of God? Do you ever hear others proclaim about his holiness, about who Jesus is? And are you stirred? Are you moved? Do you feel it? Does it touch you? And smell, the house was filled with smoke. Now we think, oh, gross, smoke. I mean, I kind of like smoke. It was nice out yesterday, and people were grilling, and smoke's kind of, I like smoke. You know, Jesus likes smoke, too. Why? Because the smoke is the offerings to him. It's a, a blessed fragrance to him. He enjoys the smoke. It's not like a a disturbance in this encounter. No, it's glorifying the main person, the main point of this entire vision. All the senses, everything that surrounds it, is still about Jesus. The smoke is about Jesus. And we'll see why as we read on. And at this point, uh, as we are overcome with all of the senses that we are experiencing, we get to hear how Isaiah himself responded. Um, And here's what he said, uh, and I'm just going to read it, and then we're going to break it down. It's got a couple of parts in it that are, I think, significant. He said, And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the king the Lord of Hosts. Point number two is what Isaiah sees, or who Isaiah sees, causes humility. Now, what is that humility? Let's break it down. First, he says, "Woe is me." He doesn't say, "Oh, poor me, poor me." Everybody else is treating me bad. Poor me. Everything is just going wrong in this world. Poor me. No, he says woe is me, woe is me. It's not about what everybody else is doing and what everybody else does wrong. He admits his own sinfulness, his own problems. Woe is me. It's like he's cursing himself. I'm cursed. That's what he says. He says, for I am lost. Some of your translations might say, I am ruined or I am unclean. Have you ever been there? I'm, I'm just worn out. I'm lost. I'm at the end of my rope. I'm, I have hit rock bottom. I'm just just exhausted. I'm wiped out. That's what Isaiah says. Why? For my eyes have seen the King. What he sees changes everything, and it causes in him a response of humility, not blaming other people, not poor me because of everybody else's problems, but because of my own problems, not. You know, Uzziah, you went into the temple and defiled it. No, woe is me. Why? For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Now, you might say, well, what you just said is not poor me. It's not what other people do. I don't think Isaiah here is blaming these people for, you know, I'm in the midst of un- other people. And we kind of do that sometimes, you know. I'm always surrounded by these, uh, bad influences, and uh, I I see things in the media, and I hear things, and and it affects me. Yes, it does, Uh, but you're still responsible um, for your actions. Uh, He's not blaming them. He's just, I think, admitting the sins of the people, you know. I come from a people where we're all just unclean, and he admits his own uncleanness, and what about him is unclean? remember that song that those angels were singing? You know, they're they're still singing it because when it says, and one called to another, in the Hebrew that means, it's a continuous verb. That means they just kept calling. They didn't stop singing. It's not like they just said it once and all right, we're done. We're, you know, gonna go eat snacks and have coffee. You know, they just kept singing the whole time. And what does he say? I'm a man of unclean lips. How do you think his words compared to what they were saying? How do your words uh, compare to what These angels are saying, you know, words are very powerful. Um, With them, we can build others up. We can encourage them. We can edify them. We can uh, exhort them. We can tell them God's truth. um, Or we can cut them down. Um, We can destroy people. We can destroy another person's reputation. Um, We can destroy a person's feelings and views of God if we abuse God's word. Our words are very important and as a prophet Isaiah thinks about his job first you know I'm a prophet I'm supposed to speak for God yet my words are unclean how how you work uh, is sort of your words about who God is is the way you do work does that say how holy God is so uh, now that I've just beaten you all up and torn you all down uh, let me encourage you you know there is hope Isaiah said, I saw the Lord. I saw Adonai. Verse six, he continues. Then one of the seraphim, the entourage of God, flew to me having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Now remember when I said that everything in this Whole passage is all about Jesus, right? Now we kind of see in this part, you know, a separate, you know, the entourage of Jesus, a separate angel. We think, okay, there's just a separate angel coming over, and he is doing this weird thing to me. Um, but no, this is really more about Jesus than it is about this angel doing this thing. This what he does is amazing. But Jesus acts as a priest, acts as an intercession, acts, uh, to intercede for us, because if This angel is sort of an entourage. An angel means a a messenger. He goes and gives us this message. This is his duty. Um, Really, Isaiah sees Jesus in this angel coming to him. He doesn't see, okay, this angel's coming to him. This is a separate experience. This is all about the same experience. So now uh, we had some sights and some sounds and some feelings and some smells. Um, What about taste? Said he said, uh, he took a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar and he had touched my mouth. Uh, do you taste it? What does it taste like? I mean, what, 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 what was burning? I, wa- I wonder. What do you think it was that was creating all the smoke? What do you think it was that was sacrificed on the altar to God? Remember how I said this whole passage is about Jesus? The power of God, if his light and his glory is is filling this temple, it's all about Jesus. And in this, I think that Isaiah sees, he gets a picture of the sacrifice of Jesus. Now, Jesus came to this earth. He died, he rose. he He was buried and he rose all because of sin. And that's what Isaiah sees here. It says, behold this, the sacrifice, part of the coal, has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. You know, Jesus didn't just come in this vision. He didn't just appear to Isaiah in this vision and touch his lips in this encounter. No, Jesus Really came to earth. He really died. He really rose again. He really defeated our sin. And that's what Isaiah sees. But I think it's really interesting. It's not just, you know, your sin is atoned for, your sin is covered. It means it's, you know, I don't look against it anymore. But your guilt is taken away for. It. Did you see that? The word guilt, it means like binding means like you're just bound up have you ever felt that way like you're just walking around and and you're kind of like this towards everybody you meet they say something you're like get away from me i'm just you just feel guilty you're just all bound up you're tight you're just wound up because of your own sin not because of other people's sin but because you know that woe is me i am lost But the power of God is the light that dispels darkness. And the power of Jesus takes away your guilt. The Bible says that as far as the east is from the west, so far are these things. That's pretty far. So as we have our guilt taken away, it's like a bound man, a man uh, who is imprisoned, set free. Isaiah says that later in chapter 61, later fulfilled by Jesus himself. I should turn there because I can't recall it offhand. Bear with me one second. He says, that Jesus uh, reads this in, in Luke chapter 2. He says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening to the prison to those who are bound. Jesus said, in your hearing this today, this prophecy is fulfilled. The opening of the prison, the opening of the things that are chaining us up, the, the shackles that we wear, he is setting us free from those things. I think a lot of times we understand that Jesus forgave our sins on the cross. Yes, he died for our sins. But a lot of times we forget that part. Your guilt is taken away. No more shame. Jesus doesn't want you to approach him in light of his holiness, feeling ashamed. No. Jesus as God, as king, and as priest, also died for you. That your response could be different. And that's what we read uh, in verse 8. Isaiah says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, How sweet would that be? <laughs> Isaiah just called out and said, Woe is me, I'm lost. You know, He admitted his sin, and yet he still heard the Lord. He said, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then Isaiah said, Here I am, Send me, and he said, go. In our freedom from this guilt, Jesus gives us the ability to worship. Worship is really, I like the way one person put it, he said, is enjoying the uniqueness, enjoying the fullness of your uniqueness. So you are uniquely created by God to worship God, to glorify God to be him in this world. And you can do that as you come to him in humility. Point number three is what Isaiah sees sets him free. Did it set you free? You know, um, when, doc- when Dr. King was uh, at those steps and and. Those people, they sang, they sang a song. They said, let freedom ring. Now they were talking about uh, political freedom and, and racial freedom, and that's that's great. I'm all for that. Um, but we can sing about real freedom. We can let freedom ring because Christ has set us free. And in that, we can worship him because he is holy, holy, holy. He's He's ho- he holy. Beyond all things. He is holy insurmountably. And He is God, and He is King, and He is Priest, and He died for you. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, Jesus, in this hour we have witnessed your glory and your holiness. Jesus, would you help us to be still and know that you are God? Jesus, as you've given us a glimpse of your holiness, would you help us to see our freedom in you? Jesus, would you continue to reveal your holiness to us through your word and through the chorus of your people that we might be changed, that the circumstances that we face, that the struggles, the trials, the pain, the questions, the fears, they might all change because we, like Isaiah, have seen the Lord. Jesus, as we come to you and sing these last songs, I pray that you would be glorified. And I pray that in us, we would be dying to ourselves and giving you our power so that in us, you might reveal your power to this broken world, to this poor world that others might see in us that Jesus is Lord. Amen.